Chapter 7 Once I woke up and I was at home in bed, Dad was reading me a story about a boy who got left in an orphanage. Mum came in with some carrot soup. They both promised they'd never leave me anywhere. We hugged and hugged. Then I really wake up and I'm in a haystack. Haystalks are stabbing me through my clothes. Cold, damp air is making my face feel clammy. The early morning sun is hurting my eyes. A young girl is shaking me and and complaining. I'm hungry, she's saying. I feel around for my glasses, put them on, look at her groggily and remember Zelda, the girl with the dead parents and the bossy attitude. She made made me tell her the Castle in the Mountain story about ten times last night till I got it right. I need to do a pee, she says. All right, I mumble. First a pee, then breakfast. We both do a pee behind the haystack. Then I unwrap the bread and water. Zelda has a drink and I have a sip. I break her off a piece of bread and a smaller one for me. She needs extra because she's injured. The bruise on her forehead is dark now and there's a lump. Your hat still smells, says Zelda. I open my mouth to explain why firefighters often have smelly hats, then close it it again. Best not to remind her that her house has burnt down. Sorry, I say. Zelda is frowning and screwing up her face, and I don't think it's just because of my hat. Are you all right? I ask. My head hurts, she says. Don't you know anything? It'll feel better when we get to the city, I say. I don't mention mum's healing powers this time, in case it makes her wail for her parents again. My head hurts too. It's hot and throbbing. Last night, when I it started hurting, I thought it was just overheated from the fire, but it can't be that now, because my skin is cold and clammy. I'm hearing things too, which can happen when you've got a fever. I can hear voices and footsteps, and the rubble, rumble of cartwheels. I must still be half asleep, dreaming about our street on market day. No, I'm not. I'm wide awake. The sounds are real. They're coming from the road on the other side of the hedge. Stay there, I whisper to Zelda. What is it? She says, alarmed. I'll be back in a minute, I say. Then we'll go to the city. To see our mums and dads, says Zelda. I run to the hedge, wriggle into the leaves and branches and peer out at the road and gawk in amazement the road is crowded with people men and women and kids and old people a hundred or even more they're all walking wearily in the direction of the city most of them are carrying bundles or bags of suitcases or cooking pots a few are carrying books each person is wearing an armband over their coat or jacket not a red and black armband like the nazis had at the orphanage these are white with the blue star a Jewish star, like some of the Jewish houses at home. Must be so these travellers can recognise the other members of their group. We used to have paper saints pinned to our tops on sports day so everyone could see which dormitory we were from. I A sudden loud noise makes me shrink back into the hedge. Several soldiers on bikes with motors are driving up and down, yelling and waving at the people in a foreign language. The soldiers 
have all got guns. None of the people have. The soldiers seem to want the people to go faster. With a jolt, I understand. These soldiers are Nazis. This struggling crowd of people are all Jewish book owners, all being transported to the city. Are mum and dad here? I lean forward again, trying to see, but before I can stop them, I hear a sound behind me. A scream. Zelda. I struggle out of the hedge, almost losing my glasses. I jam them back on and almost faint at what I see. Zelda is standing by the haystack, rigid with fear. Next to her, pointing a machine gun down at her head, is a Nazi soldier. soldier. Don't shoot, I scream, running over to them. The soldier points his gun at me. I freeze. With a stab of panic, I see my notebook lying in the hay at his feet. It must have fallen out of my shirt. The Nazi soldier must have seen it. He must think we're Jewish book owners, disobedient ones like Zelda's parents. My throat goes dry with fear. That isn't really a book, I croak. It's a notebook. And it isn't hers, it's mine. And I wasn't trying to hide it. I was planning to hand it over as soon as we get to the city and find the place where books are being burnt. The soldier stares at me like he doesn't believe what I've just said. Desperately, I try to think of a way to make friends with him. Sorry, I just shouted at you, I say. I'm from the mountains where you have to shout and yodel to make yourself heard. Can you yodel? The soldier does not reply. He just scowls and waves his gun towards the hedge. I grab Zelda by the hand in my notebook and the bread and water. Zelda is trembling just as much as me. Come on, I say to her gently. He's telling us we have to go to the city with all the other people to see our mums and dads, says Zelda to the soldier. You know how when you're looking for your mum and dad in a straggling crowd of people trudging along a dusty road and you speed up and get to the front of and then slow down and drop to the back and you still can't see them even when you pray to god jesus the virgin mary the pope and adolf hitler that's happening to me my head is throbbing and i feel squashed with disappointment i tried to cheer myself up by thinking how mum and dad have probably already arrived at the city and are having to sit down and taking the weight off their feet it doesn't cheer me up. The Nazi soldiers on the motorbikes are still yelling at everyone. I hope Mum and Dad haven't got noisy cross soldiers like these. Mum, Mum gets very indignant with people if with if people are rude, and sometimes she tells them off. Zelda doesn't look very happy either. My feet hurt, she says. Poor thing. She's only wearing fluffy bedtime slippers. The soles aren't thick enough to protect her feet from the stones on the road. I bend down and pull some of the rag stuffing out of my shoes. Come on, I say to Zelda. Piggyback. She jumps on my back. Hold on tight, I say. Start walking again. And start walking again so the soldiers won't yell at us for laughing behind. Some of the other kids walking with their mums and dads give Zelda jealous looks. I don't blame them. Some of them are only three and four. Their mums and dads are too wary to talk to them, let alone carry them. I can see Zelda wants to stay on my back till we get to the city. 
I wish she could, but I feel too ill. I take her slippers off, wind the rags round her feet and put her slippers back on. There, I say, that should help. I put her back down. It feels funny, she says after a few steps. I try to think of something to help her get used to it. All the great travellers in history had rags round their feet, I say. Christopher Columbus, who discovered America, he had rags round his feet. Dr Livingstone in Africa, he did. Hannibal the Great, he did too. So did his elephants in the future by the year 1960. I think they'll make shoes with rags already in them. Zelda gives me one of her looks. By the year 1960, she says, people won't need shoes. They'll have wheels instead of feet. Don't you know anything? Sorry, I say. I forgot. Why do those people look sad? asks Zelda. I've been expecting her to ask. She's been staring in a concerned way at the people walking with us. An elderly woman near us is crying and Zelda's been looking at her a lot. I'm not sure what to say. Zelda squeezes my hand even tighter than usual. Well, she demands, why do they? I know why the people look sad. They've been walking for hours and they're tired and hungry and worried about their books and parents, just like us. We probably look sad to them, but I don't say this to Zelda. When a little kid doesn't know her parents are dead, you've got to try and keep her spirits up. They're feeling sad because they haven't got much rags in their shoes, I say to her. They'll be much happier when we get to the city. I'm about to tell Zelda about the rag shop that are probably in the city when I see something out of the corner of my eye. The elderly woman has just fainted on the side of the road. She's lying in the dust. Nobody's stopping to help her. Not the other Jewish people, not the soldiers, not me. I can't give anyone else a piggyback. I can't even lift Zelda the way I feel now. What's wrong with that lady? asks Zelda, and tell her that the lady is just having a rest, and after we've gone, a farmer will come and take the lady home, and she'll live happily on the farm with his family, and become very good at milking cows, and in the year 1972 she'll invent a machine that milks them automatically, and also makes butter. Zelda thinks about this. In 1972, she says, Cows will make their own butter. Don't you know anything? I'm tempted to say. No, I don't. Not anymore. I look around at the tired, hungry, sick Jewish people staggering along the road. An awful question has been throbbing in my head for ages now. It's the question I first thought of when I saw Zelda lying on her lawn. Why would the Nazis make people suffer like this just for the sake of some books? I need to try and find an answer. Excuse me, I say to the man walking nearby. Are you a book lover? The man stares at me as if I'm mad. His grey, sagging face was miserable before, but now he looks like he's close to tears. He looks away. I feel terrible. I wish I hadn't asked. Not just because I've made a suffering Jewish man feel upset at the sight of a crazy kid. Also because I've got a horrible suspicion. I know the answer to the question. Maybe it's not just our books the Nazis hate. Maybe it's us. Thank you for listening. That was chapter seven.